Spoiler alert, it may not be who you think. Alright, welcome everyone. I'm so glad that you guys are here today. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I want to. You can stay after the service upstairs for our start. Or you can uh, fill out that form slash connect if you hit that I'm new button. We want to do that uh, to get to know you. And if you do that, you actually give $5 to the Denver Rescue Mission through us. That's what we do. <laughs> we give $5 to the Denver Rescue Mission on your behalf. So please fill out that form if you haven't done it. I want to connect with you. And today we are in week four of our series, Who's In, Who's Out. If you missed any of the first three messages, you can go to risedenver.com media. We have audio, video, transcript. You can also subscribe on your podcast app or on YouTube so you don't miss a single week of that series. We're going to jump in today, and we're all going to sing together. No, I'm just kidding. Um, who in here thinks they're tone deaf? Anybody? Do we have some hands? We had quite a few first service say, say and we, I, you know, there's probably 20 people in here. Um, I'm sorry to inform you, you're probably not tone deaf, Okay even if you think you are. Here's the thing, there actually is a medical condition uh, that can be described as being tone deaf, and it's called congenital amusia. Congenital amusia. So people who are born that cannot tell the difference between tones. Okay, raise your hand if the person next to you was singing tone deaf, like they were tone deaf. Anybody? No, you don't have to raise your hand. Okay, hey. Um, but, but a lot of us are like, well, no, I, I think I'm tone deaf. A actually, based on one study of like 20,000 people, that maybe 1.5% of the population ha has something like this tone deaf. But most people who think they're tone deaf can actually tell the difference between tones. Like if you go on a keyboard and hit a, a middle C and then you go up to a D, a note above it, most people can tell that there's some difference. The thing is, is that most people just haven't worked on it. It is really hard, especially when you're, you're grown, to learn how to tell the difference between different notes and to then to sing the notes that you're hearing, uh, although most of us you know, would still say, well, I, I don't know. I'm, it's, it's a lot of work, isn't it, to learn how to sing on key? It, it's, it's really difficult, and that's why a lot of people think they're tone deaf when they actually probably aren't. There's one expert who studied it, and this is what he said. He said, in reality, get this. The major obstacle holding back those who believe they can't sing is just that, overcoming that belief itself. Interesting, right? There might be a few people in here that are actually tone deaf, but in reality, most of us who think we are, it's just because we think we are. It's something going on here in our head and our heart that we believe that is actually the obstacle so that we can overcome it. And it's a challenge to do it. But for a lot of things in life, and what we're going to talk about today, it's what's happening in our head and in our heart, these internal obstacles that keep us from something else. And today in this series, as we're talking about who's in, and what we're really meaning by that, not only is who's in heaven, we talked about that the first couple of weeks, but as Sawyer mentioned last week, that, that faith starts now. It, it impacts our lives now. So our relationship with God now, are we in this fullest life that Jesus has for us? There's a lot of obstacles internally that keep us from that. So we're here all about helping people follow Jesus. And Jesus said that I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So the fullest life is found in Jesus. It's not just when you die, you have eternal life, though that's amazing, right? But he said the fullest life now is found in him, even through obstacles and difficulties in our own life. So, so to have that fullest life that's available to us following Jesus, there are a lot of obstacles that keep us from that. That's what we're going to talk about today. How do we um, not let anything keep us from Jesus? So my big idea for you today is don't let anything keep you from Jesus. We're going to talk about four different obstacles that a lot of us, maybe most of us have internally 
that keep us from following Jesus, that keep us from that fullest life. And I want to tell you today, don't let anything keep you from Jesus. So in this series, if you've been here, the very first week we were introduced to the very rich young ruler, this man who was wealthy, young, powerful, and he went up to Jesus. And as far as we know, in all of the four accounts of Jesus' life, he's the only person who was invited to follow Jesus that we know turned away. I'm sure there was others, but we know for sure that this one guy who was rich, and he couldn't give up his money. He's like, Jesus said, come follow me. You just have to give up everything to follow me. And he's like, no, too much. And he didn't. So if you left that week thinking, well, I'm rich, there's no way I can get in, which I hope you don't because that's not what that message was about. <laughs> but if you did, know that today the hero of our story who overcomes these obstacles, who jumps over these hurdles, is a rich man, a very, very rich man. And he actually is, is the hero for us because we can watch him in his life and learn from him to not let anything keep you from Jesus. So you guys ready for this? Yeah. Okay, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19 today, verses 1 through 10. If you have a Bible, open it up. If you have a smartphone, get the YouVersion Bible app, because we, which is an amazing app. Did you know that over a half a billion people have now downloaded that app? Incredible. That's awesome. So if you have it, you can find the Arise Church Denver event, and you can see all the scriptures that we're going to look at today and take notes right there in the app. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 19, and the first obstacle, we're going to have four today, the first obstacle... That, that keeps a lot of people from going to Jesus, and that I want to tell you, don't, don't let it get in your way, so, so, so don't let your limitations keep you from Jesus. Don't let your limitations keep you from Jesus. So we open this up in Luke 19, verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So Jericho is the last town on his route into Jerusalem. Since about Luke chapter 9, Jesus like had his eyes set. He's going to Jerusalem, which is going to be the place where he ends his life. And he knows it. It's going to be ended there. So he's on his way. This is the last town that he's going through on his way to Jerusalem. It's probably 15 to 20 miles from Jerusalem. And as Jesus is passing through this Jericho, it says in verse 2, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And in verse 3, it says, he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was what? He was short. He could not see over the crowd. Okay. You guys remember the song? Anybody who grew up going to Sunday school or VBS, you remember the song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Anybody remember that? Okay, don't comment that I'm tone deaf, okay? Please... <laughs> Okay, we remember the story. If you've heard that song before, if you grew up in church, you've heard it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Here's this tiny dude, and he was probably pretty short because in that day, maybe the average size of a male was 5'3". So this guy's probably under five feet. He's a tiny dude. I like to picture Tom Cruise. That's who I picture in my head. Sorry, Tom. If you're watching, I don't mean any offense. I love you, okay? He's a, he's a short guy, but this is his limitation, isn't it? This is something he was born with, and he wants to see Jesus. He's curious. He wants to find out more. Who is this Jesus guy? He's passing through town. He hears the news that Jesus, this great preacher, this miracle worker is coming through. I want to get a glimpse of him. And Zacchaeus has a limitation. He can't see over the crowd. Probably even on his tiptoes, can't see over the crowd. So what does he do? It says in verse 4, he runs. It says, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. 
I, I love Zacchaeus. He's short. Something is getting in the way of him seeing physically Jesus, and he wants to. So he climbs up a tree so he can get a better view. He does not allow his limitations to get in the way. And I'm saying this because everyone has limitations. They can be things that we're born with. We might be, have to do with our height. It might have to do with another physical disability. It might be something with our looks. It might be the way we were raised or, or we don't have the same advantage as another person. Okay, everybody has some sort of limitation. I remember even reading a story once that said all, the average CEO is 6'1". I'm 5'11 if I wear tall shoes. Okay, I'm like, shoot, well, I guess I can't ever be a CEO, right? No, okay, what is going on here is not that, hey, you have to be tall, you have to be smart, you have to be better looking, you have to not have that disability or that mental handicap that you're dealing with. It's not that. It's saying we all have limitations. Don't let them get in the way. Do you hear that? Okay, that's what he's saying. Zacchaeus, the short man, he's like, I don't care, I'm climbing the tree. And I think that to go to Jesus, this life that he has for us, that he's calling us to, it's a better, fuller life. Don't let your limitations keep you from that. We all have them. But we can't have the victim mindset that says, well, I just can't do it because this is how I was born. It's my genetics, how I was raised. I didn't have the same advantage as someone else. I didn't go to the right schools. No, no, no. There's no limitation to keep you from the life that Jesus has for you. That's just internal. That's why people like Beethoven, who was literally deaf, could write some of the most amazing music of all time for God. That's why people like Johnny Erickson Tata, who suffered a, a terrible diving accident that made her a quadriplegic. She is one of the most gifted authors alive today. If you've ever read anything she's written. Or someone like Nick Vujicic, if you've heard him, born without arms and legs. One of the most powerful motivational speakers I've ever heard. And th those people did it for Jesus. They said, I have limitations. We don't ignore it. We don't act like it's not real. Zacchaeus was short, but it didn't stop him from what Jesus had for him. So don't let your limitation, whatever it is, get in the way. It might be an obstacle. It might be hard. It might take harder work, but you can overcome it. Because the path that the life that Jesus has for you is so much better than getting stuck in your limitation. So that's the first thing today. Don't let your limitation keep you from Jesus. Let you let your, but that, that's almost like a physical thing. That's something maybe you're born with. But there's also some internal things in our minds and in our hearts. So the second thing we're going to learn from Zacchaeus is don't let your pride keep you from Jesus. Don't let your pride keep you from Jesus. I want you to look back in verse 1 with me. It says that Jesus entered Jericho. If you also grew up in church, you maybe heard of a, a town called Jericho. There's another song about that too, isn't there? Somebody want to sing that one for us? Walking around the wall, right? So you walk around these walls like seven times, Jericho falls down. This is the same Jericho, but that city was actually destroyed in the time of Joshua. And this is another town built nearby that's a new Jericho, because that city was destroyed, okay? So this is Jericho. And because it had been newly rebuilt, Jericho, as we know, because it's been unearthed now by archaeologists, is filled with these gigantic mansions and huge pools, like pools, okay? Mansions with pools. We know that probably this was the town where the wealthiest people in all of Israel lived. This was like a resort community. So if Zacchaeus is living there, it already tells us he's wealthy. He's probably one of the wealthiest people in the entire nation. He probably had one of those mansions. He probably had his own private pool. You want to come over and swim with Zacchaeus? He won't take up too much of the pool, okay? There's room. So Zacchaeus is wealthy, and it says he's a chief tax collector. 
Tax collectors were already some of the wealthiest people, and now he's in charge of probably a group of maybe 15 to 20 other tax collectors. This guy may be the wealthiest person, besides like Herod, besides the guys who were kings, one of the wealthiest people in all of the nation. This would be equivalent to one of our billionaires today, right? Somebody who has it all. So here is Zacchaeus, who has a lot of money. And what does he do when Jesus is coming to town? He starts running, okay? How many billionaires have you guys seen run? Not very many, right? When there was that weird video of Mark Zuckerberg on like that surfboard thing, everybody made fun of him, right? Like, what is a billionaire doing on that surfboard in Lake Tahoe? It was like, it's funny. It's like the comedy for the day. These billionaires don't do that, okay? It's beneath them, especially in the first century in Israel. Men wore robes and they did not run because they would have to roll up their robes, show off their nice, white, shiny legs, and then run, okay? And Zacchaeus does that. He doesn't care. What do other people think of him? And on top of that, he climbs a tree. Okay, we don't even have to go back to the first century to know that grown men don't climb trees, right? Especially billionaires, right? And when was the last time you saw a billionaire climbing a tree? We just don't, right? Never, thank you. It just doesn't happen. And here is Zacchaeus not caring because he wants to see Jesus. If he looks like a fool, he doesn't care. See, he overcame his pride. I don't care what people think about me. I'm going to get to Jesus. And that's what Zacchaeus does. He overcomes his pride, and pride is something that gets in the way for so many of us. Here's what I learned in fourth grade, that if you're a Christian, they'll make fun of you. I remember going to school. I thought everybody went to church and Sunday school, and, and one of the kids was like, oh, what would you do yesterday morning on, on a Monday? And I was like, oh, I went to Sunday school, fourth grade. I got made fun of the rest of the year. I went to Sunday school. Oh, look at the little Christian going to Sunday school. Okay, I learned then, which is the truth that most of us learn, you get made fun of if you're a Christian. If you're going to Sunday school, come on, who does that? To follow Jesus means that we will have people around us that embarrass us, make fun of us, say things about us. They'll say, man, are, are you uneducated? Aren't we more modern and scientific? Aren't we advanced beyond that? How could you believe something so outdated and have such a closed mind? That's what they'll say about us. Or even worse, it's the reality. The people will judge us. They will say things about us. They will even hate us. Jesus promised us that. I don't know if you guys have claimed that promise. That's not, not the promise anybody claims in the Bible, but Jesus said, you will be hated if you follow me. Okay? But to follow him, like, will you say, I will give up my pride? I don't care what they think about me. I'm going to go after Jesus anyways. That's what Zacchaeus does. And it's hard. It is hard to say, I'm going to church on Sunday the first time. Or when someone asks you, hey, you want to go out to brunch? Sorry, I can't. Sundays are reserved for God. Can you do something on Wednesday night? Sorry, I go to community group. What? Why? Who cares? You go to church. To tell your coworkers, your friends, the other, your fellow students, your boss that you're a Christian is hard. To make that decision and pray the prayer the first time, I, I accept Jesus Christ in my heart. You have to overcome your pride. To get into the waters of baptism, as we saw six people do two weeks ago. It's hard. you got to overcome your pride to go public and get wet in front of everybody. But Jesus is saying, hey, if you want the fullest life, you've got to follow me, and you've got to overcome your pride. Humble yourselves, just like Zacchaeus did. Climb the tree. Climb the tree, okay? Whatever the tree is for you, just climb it. Who cares? Who cares? But there's a fascinating thing here with Zacchaeus. 
Because I think he was also experiencing, not only there's some, some pride that he had to overcome, but I think there was also some shame he had to overcome. And the third thing that we need to learn to overcome is don't let your shame keep you from Jesus. Your shame. It's an interesting thing here. Because Luke, who's the historian who's writing this account of Jesus' life, he specifically says in verse 4 that Zacchaeus climbed a sycamore fig tree. It didn't say fig in the, the song, I don't think. It was just a sycamore tree. But, but it says specifically a sycamore fig tree. Now, Luke was smart. He was a doctor. He was a historian. He was educated. So when he includes this detail, it must be important. Anytime here, guys, this, here's a little bit of you know, help for you reading the Bible. Anytime you read a detail, it's important. You might not know why it's in there, but it's in there for a reason. Because it wasn't like John Grisham or Tom Clancy where they have a billion different details. Or Frank Herbert. Anybody like read Dune? Okay. The movie just came out. Like you read it. There's like a billion more details than you need. Okay. Not the Bible. They had limited paper. If they wrote a detail, it's important. So I was actually meeting with one of my old professors from school and talking about this passage. He's like, well, you should look at the sycamore fig tree. I was like, what? He's like, just look at it. Okay. And I was like, okay. why, Why is that detail? Why does he describe this particular type of tree? Well, it's actually a tree that probably doesn't grow much here in North America, but there in Israel, it was a tree that had very low-hanging branches. So it would have been a little easy for a short guy to climb up into these branches, right? Doesn't need to be a super good athlete. He's climbing into the branches. But the other thing about this sycamore fig tree is that it has really big leaves, a lot of foliage. So if you see these trees, you can climb into it and see out, but nobody can see you. I wonder here, If Zacchaeus climbed up there because he wanted to see Jesus, but he was not sure he wanted Jesus to see him. And probably because some of the shame he was carrying around. Look at this. In verse 5, it says that when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. So this means he would have had to go under the tree, right? Because he couldn't have seen him far away, but he knows he's there. So Jesus goes under the tree, looks up, sees Zacchaeus, And said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And in verse 7 it says, All the people saw this and began to what? Mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. See, Zacchaeus had a reputation. And they're muttering about him, aren't they? He has a reputation. He's known as the sinner. So here is Zacchaeus, I think, hiding perhaps because of the shame, because that's what shame makes us do. When we feel shame, we hide. Or we hide that part about ourselves. We don't want people to know that reputation. We don't want people to know where we came from, what we did. We hide it. I heard this story about a woman. She lived by herself, and she had a a giant mastiff dog, over 150 pounds, this dog. And every day when she came home, the dog was waiting for her. It's just the routine. She'd come home, the dog was waiting for her. But one day, she came home from the grocery store, and there was no dog. So she freaks out. She calls out to the dog, and she heard nothing. So she's freaking out. Something must have happened. Someone must have broken in. What happened to my dog? Oh, no. So she calls the cops. She calls them, you got to get over here. So they come, and they, they go into the premise, and they, they go around and search the whole thing. And then one of the cops comes back. She's still waiting, nervous at the door, and, and the cop has a smirk on his face. He says, well, your dog went to the bathroom everywhere, and it's hiding now in the closet. Because dogs hide when they have shame, right? We've seen it. Humans do the same thing. Humans do the same thing. When we do something, or when we have a reputation, we don't want anybody to know about it, we hide. 
Well, stay at home. Some people are watching right now because of the shame that you're feeling. You have the shame because of your past. And you're like, I hope nobody ever finds out about what I did when I was a teenager. I hope nobody finds out about what I did with that, in that relationship or when I was on that trip. I don't want anybody to know about it. And that shame that we feel because of the things that we've done makes us hide or hide that part of ourselves. We don't even tell our therapists about some of this stuff. We're hiding it. And I think that Zacchaeus carried around some of the shame. He is known as the sinner. The sinner. And he was known that because he was the chief tax collector. He had a tax collector in those days. And this city of Jericho was on the very edge of the, the Roman state of Judea. And so anybody crossing the border would have had to go through a, a tax collector. It's like a tariff, right? And they're going through it. And Zacchaeus and all his cronies would be there to make them pay the tariff. Well, the Roman government would set an amount that people owed. And they would tell the tax collectors, this is how much we need. But then the tax collectors, in order to make a little profit for themselves, would say, hey, you owe 100 bucks to, to get in here? I need 200 and they wouldn't tell people that. They would just lie. You, need, you owe 200 and they would pocket some money for themselves. And it was, you know, okay with the Roman government. They didn't care. Make your money however you want. So these tax collectors had a reputation for literally stealing from people. This is fraud. They're stealing for themselves to make more money. They're getting rich doing it. And now Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector, but he's the chief tax collector. He's telling them all how to do their jobs. I was trying to think like what the modern equivalent of someone like this would be. And I, this, is, this is what I came up with. It would be like someone who's an IRS agent, but combined with that billionaire family who's making all the opioids and making a ton of money off of other people being addicts. Yeah, you seen them in the news? It would be like both of those things combined, okay? That guy's showing up for your audit, and they've caused all this damage in the world and gotten rich off of it. This is one of the most hated people in the entire nation and the richest he is the sinner, the chief sinners. He's carrying around all that baggage and people are muttering about him. Have you ever wondered if people are muttering about you? Do they know my reputation? Are they talking about me when I walk in the room? I hope they don't talk to that person about me, right? And this is the shame that Zacchaeus must have felt on that day. But yet, did you see what Jesus did? He walked right to where he was, looked straight at him, and what did he do? called him by name, Zacchaeus. We have no evidence that they had ever met before this. Zacchaeus and Jesus had never met before, and yet Jesus knows exactly who Zacchaeus is, and that means he probably knew everything about him. Jesus knew every wart, every sin, all the guilt and the shame that he was carrying around with him, and he still says, hey, Zacchaeus, let's hang out. He says in there, I, I must stay at your house. This is like, it's my mission. I have to do this. I'm staying at your house. We're sharing a meal. We are buddies. I love you. He calls him by name. And I love this because this is how Jesus operates. He knows all of our past. He knows what we've done. He knew what we do 30 years ago when we were a teenager. He knew what we did last night. And he sees us anyways, and he calls us by name. He says, Trish. He says, Jenna. Josh. He knows everything about us says, I want to hang out. <laughs> I love you. Let's be friends. In fact, um, in, in, in Revelation chapter 3, um, verse 20, there's this verse that's often used about evangelism, but Jesus is actually talking in this passage, Revelation 3, 20. 
And Jesus is talking to the church. And if you have a Bible, it's in, in red. That means it's Jesus speaking. And this is what he says in Revelation 3.20. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as what? Friends. Let's hang out. I love you. I know about all that stuff. You don't have to bring that shame with you. So don't let your shame keep you from Jesus. He knows about it and loves you anyways. That's amazing. That's amazing. Jesus loves you anyway. So don't let your shame keep you from Jesus. And that leads to the fourth thing, because this Zacchaeus not only felt shame and because of his reputation, but he had done some bad stuff. He was carrying real guilt. So what we learn from Zacchaeus, don't let your sin keep you from Jesus. Don't let your sin keep you from Jesus. It's interesting here as we see in verse 8. They're, they're going to hang out, and Zacchaeus, it says, stood up and said to the Lord, said to Jesus, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What he's saying here is, I have cheated a lot of people, and I will not only pay them back and with interest as the law required, but I will pay back fourfold. I will go way above and beyond because I am a sinner. And I'm repenting today. That's what he's doing. He's making amends. You know, they talk about that in AA. He's making amends for what he's done in the past. He, he's repenting publicly because he's saying, I am a sinner. And he was carrying all this real true guilt for what he had done. One of the worst sinners alive in Jesus' day. But it didn't keep him from going to Jesus. He repented, turned away from it, and came to Jesus. And that's what we need to do. We need to not let our sin get in the way, but go to Jesus. Give it up. Give up the sin. That's what he's doing here. I'm going to do things right now. I'm transformed now, Jesus. I'm not going to sin anymore because now I'm publicly saying I am a sinner. I've repented. So don't let your sin get in the way. And sometimes this is the hardest obstacle of all. Because we like our sin. We like the things that we've been doing. That's why we've been doing it so much. Charles Spurgeon once said this. He said, those who do not wish to give up their favorite sins pretend the gospel is very difficult to understand or quite impossible to accept. It's our own sin that keeps us from coming to Jesus sometimes. But he says, I don't care about that. Come to me anyways. So don't let your sin keep you from Jesus. And I'm saying this because too many people allow all these obstacles to get in the way of the fullest life Jesus has for them. Their limitations, their pride, their shame, or their sin. And I'm here to tell you, just as Zacchaeus shows us, don't let anything keep you from Jesus. Nothing, anything. Whatever it is holding you back, don't let anything overcome those obstacles because it's worth it. There was a um, man named Kenneth Clark, and he was a, an, an art critic, an art historian, and he wrote about this time where he was in Florence, Italy, studying art. And he went to this, this church. It was the church of um, San Lorenzo. And while he was there studying the art there, he had just this uh, an amazing encounter. He, he said he experienced this heavenly joy that surpassed anything he'd ever experienced. Now, this guy was well-educated. He had his PhD. He's an art historian, well-respected, an author. But he didn't believe in God. 
And yet there he was in this church and he had this transcendent experience. It was greater than anything he'd ever experienced. And, and he thought, he's like, okay, well, maybe it's just like the church architecture, right? But it wasn't because he felt that same thing for the next three months. Several months in a row, he just kept feeling this overwhelming joy in his life. And he said he was sure that it was the finger of God. This encounter with God that he had. But it was a problem for him. And this is what he wrote in, his, in one of his uh, memoirs. He said it posed an awkward problem because he had not been living according to God's standard. And he knew that if this was God and God was real, then he was going to have to reform his life. Change a bunch of stuff about it. And if he changed all these things in his life, then his friends and family who knew him so well, they'd think he was weird, even crazy. And as he sat for months pondering this, it gradually wore off. He was sure it was the finger of God, and yet this is what he wrote. He said, I was too deeply embedded in the world to change course. And he never transformed. That was it. Three months of an encounter with the finger of God, and he said, no, it's not enough. Because there are so many things that get in the way of Jesus in this world, aren't there? And whether it's our own limitations, we're like, God, God, God doesn't want me. It's, it's our pride, like, I don't know, what are people going to think? Are, are people going to think I'm crazy? Or our own shame, like, I don't know, I've done some bad stuff. And, and our sin that is holding us back and we don't want to let go. Whatever that thing is that is holding you back, I am telling you, don't let anything keep you from Jesus because Jesus is so much better than all of that. Go after Jesus. Jump the hurdles. Climb the trees. Whatever it takes to get to Jesus. Because here's the amazing thing. I love these last couple verses in this passage. I love the last couple verses. It says in verse 9, it says that Jesus said to him, to Zacchaeus, Today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. He's a child of God. He's part of, of the people of God now. Verse 10, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is saying, this is my mission, to reach after the lost, the sinners, the prideful people. I want them. I love them. I want them to come to me. The amazing thing is, is we can't let anything keep us from Jesus because Jesus won't let anything keep him from us. Did you notice that in this passage? Did you notice that? That Zacchaeus only went to see Jesus because Jesus came to town. He was going there first. And Zacchaeus could only see Jesus because Jesus was walking there. And Zacchaeus would have stayed up in the tree, but Jesus walked right under the tree, looked up at him, and called him by name. And he said, I'm coming over to your house today. And it was Jesus who brought salvation there that day. See, Jesus was seeking after the lost. That's what he does. That's why he came to this earth, to be among us, to love us, to come after us. He's on a rescue mission. He wants us. And he's going to do whatever it takes to bring you to himself including going up his own tree and dying on the cross for you. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what we believe. And that's why it's so much better to go after Jesus and forget all the dang obstacles that are in the way. Whatever it takes, go to Jesus. Don't let anything keep you from Jesus because Jesus won't let anything keep you from him. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful 
that your son Jesus came after us to seek and to save us, to love us despite our limitations, our weaknesses, despite our pride that gets in the way, despite our shame and our guilt and the sin we carry around, Lord God. I'm so grateful that you came to seek and to save me and to seek and to save every single man, woman, and child here today and listening to my voice. We are grateful for that. Lord, help us overcome everything that gets in our way. Now with eyes closed, I know that there are some people here or people listening to my voice that have never put their faith in Jesus Christ and that is the simple step it takes so that Jesus is your Lord and Savior so that you have salvation today, the best life now and eternal life ahead. So I wanna encourage you to take the step of faith to say a simple prayer and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. What we do here is if you're already a believer, you say this prayer out loud too because maybe you need to give courage to the person next to you who's unsure dealing with their pride or shame. Give them the courage to to, to voice this and to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So I'm going to give you this prayer. Please repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Forgive me. Save me. In faith, I declare, Jesus is Lord. I accept your gift of eternal life. I receive your spirit. Help me to follow you and not let anything get in the way. Now with eyes still closed, if you said that prayer for the first time and meant it, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, I just want you to slip your hand into the air. Put it up high. Praise God. Praise God. We welcome, and we know we, if you're online, go to risedenver.com slash follow. We had some people that had someone accept Jesus Christ this week, midweek, and it just pumps me up when we see that. Um, Lord God, we are grateful for those who are turning to you. We rejoice and celebrate that just like the angels are rejoicing in heaven. And Lord God, help every single one of us to overcome the obstacles, overcome our shame, overcome our pride, overcome whatever is holding us back to find you. And we come right now repenting again of our sins and receiving your grace today. Amen. Would you please stand together um, in this last song as, as we're singing, come to the altar. We're saying that because we're saying, hey, we're sinners. So I want you to, to take this moment to confess your sins to God, to repent of sins and receive his forgiveness as we worship Jesus together.